Find out what the whole world is thinking in the agenda. Ahead of World Refugee Day, this week on the agenda, we're asking what the world must do to help the more than 100 million people who've been driven from their homes. More than 100 million people are currently displaced in the world. Of those, at least 40% are children and over a third are refugees. At least half have fled their country entirely. It is, as UN High Commissioner for Refugees, Filippo Grandi, puts it, a record that should never have been set. The term displaced was first used during the Second World War, when more than 40 million people were forced from their homes. And this year has seen Europe's worst crisis since that time, with the conflict in Ukraine causing 8 million people to be displaced within the country and 6 million more to leave entirely. It's expected to be the largest refugee crisis this century, pushing us beyond the 100 million milestone for the very first time. And of course, that has caused all too real problems, not only in Ukraine itself, but in neighboring nations too. The country which has accepted the most refugees is Poland, where more than three and a half million refugees have arrived since the beginning of the conflict in February. Millions more refugees have traveled to other countries, including Hungary, Romania and Moldova. But while the world's eyes are on Ukraine, those affected by previous and continuing conflicts in other parts of the world are still feeling the impact. In 2011, some 13 million Syrians were uprooted by the conflict there. Many of these remain refugees today in Turkey, Lebanon and other neighboring countries. And that's only part of the picture as fast forward to 2022 and more than 80% of Syria's population who remain there are still in need of humanitarian help today. And then there's Afghanistan. Since the Taliban's takeover last summer, many Afghans are still waiting to be resettled. Pakistan alone is currently hosting one and a half million registered Afghan refugees. And while refugees from Ukraine, Syria and Afghanistan may dominate the headlines, a recent report from Norway's Refugee Council suggests millions more may be almost ignored, with the 10 most neglected crises all in Africa for the very first time. So what exactly are the root causes of the world's refugee crisis? And what can be done to solve the problem? I'm joined now from Geneva by the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, Filippo Grandi. Thanks ever so much for, for coming on. Now, you've said that the UNHCR is facing a whole combination of, of problems now, unprecedented challenges, um, extraordinary difficult waters that, that you need to navigate. So from that gaping gap between what's needed and the resources that are available to the increasing number of conflicts. So what, how worried should the world be um, about this ever-growing number of refugees? I think worried. Worried for these poor people that have no choice but to flee. And worried because uh, larger and larger groups of people are forced to move. Uh, you mentioned resources and you bet it's a big concern for me, especially now, and we can talk about that with Ukraine absorbing so much of the humanitarian resources. But uh, even more challenging in a way is this combination. You've used that word. I use this word all the time. It's the combination between conflict, violence, human rights abuses, other governance issues with uh, the impact of the climate emergency, even the pandemic, social and economic inequalities, 
you name it, the list is long. Everything conspires to making the refugee figure, the displacement figure, bigger and bigger every year, as our Global Trends report has just said, but also more and more complicated every year. Of course, the, the crisis in Ukraine has exacerbated the, the, the refugee problem worldwide. Just, just where are we at in, in terms of the refugee crisis there in Ukraine? It has complicated in the sense that it has added to that terrible figure that we published in our Global Trends. Our Global Trends report, which we put out every June, which we have just put out, indicates about 89 million refugees and displaced at the end of last year, because the report refers to the year before. But to that figure, now you have to add what? 12, 13, 14 million displaced and refugees from Ukraine. So in numerical numbers, it has been catastrophic. But also, like I said, it has obliged donors to direct massive resources to help countries impacted by the refugee crisis, to help Ukrainians in Ukraine itself. And that, we already see it, is having an impact on other responses that are very underfunded this year. And the other responses are not any, any less urgent or less important, but inevitably the Ukraine crisis is attracting a lot of attention and money. I'm worried about that because final point, Let's not forget that refugees, displaced people find themselves in other countries that are already impacted directly by the Ukraine crisis. Food security, inflation, energy, high energy cost, the list is very long. So you have a double impact in places that also have refugees and displaced. There has been a, a different reaction, a different response to the refugee crisis in Ukraine compared to, say, Syria in 2015 and more recently in Afghanistan. Why, why do you think that is? Why is that, the difference so acute? Well, it's a complex issue. There have been uh, obvious uh, disparities, but we must also not forget that we're talking about the largest refugee displacement crisis, let's put it more correctly, displacement crisis that the world has seen since the Second World War. So the fact that there has been a big response is justified by reality. Then, of course, you know, uh, this is a country, a, a crisis in the heart of Europe. Um, it is a, a crisis linked to a very high profile global globally uh, uh, impactful uh, conflict, uh, full of enormous risks. So all these are factors that have played into this response. And uh, I'm not criticizing the generous response to help Ukrainians. What I am warning is that if that generous response comes at the expense of other responses, there we are in trouble. And remember, this comes after what I consider the big, uh, uh, the big defeat that the world has seen in vaccine distribution, vaccine nationalism, privileging rich countries and putting poor countries next. And it comes after many other manifestations of inequality, inequity that we see worldwide. It 
will make things worse, also in terms of global international relations at a time, at a time when unity of intent is so important. You've said also that what's happening in Ukraine is an eye-opener for, for, for many people, that anyone can become a refugee overnight. Any country can become a, a frontline country um, as a, a refugee receiving nation. So do you think that's created a new impetus for humanitarian aid or is that gap between intentions and actions still too big? There are, uh, there are many aspects to the Ukraine response that are interesting and we should not be too quick in forgetting that there are also pluses. The extraordinary solidarity that we have seen, it's true. In the first uh, couple of weeks, we saw some very unpleasant and disgraceful episodes of discrimination. But by and large, um, refugees have been helped, including those that uh, have scattered themselves throughout Europe. Uh, just to give you an example, we have never seen so many private citizens, companies, foundations, non-state donors give us so many resources for this response. And then Europe uh, established what is called a temporary protection regime for those coming from Ukraine that has been a very forward-looking system to absorb uh, many of them, all of them, millions of them, in a very short period of time. Now, you know, what I'm telling European states is, why have you been telling me, have you been telling us for years that Europe was full and all of a sudden you can absorb five, six, seven million people in the space of a few weeks? So it is possible. I take this positively because it gives us an argument that receiving refugees, when there is political will, uh, it is possible. And this uh, much discussed point that public opinion rejects refugees, when politicians speak positively about the need to be hospitable, that reaction is much slower and much more reduced. So there are some positives there as well. I mean, is, is there a real danger that Ukraine is shifting and distracting the international community from some of the other acute refugee crises around the world? There is a very big danger. Our operations in a dozen countries are at risk of severe underfunding. Know, places that are under tremendous pressure, like Lebanon hosting hundreds of thousands of Syrian refugees, or Ethiopia, where the war that we were all talking about a year ago still go goes on with people impacted, or Bangladesh. I was there just a few days ago. There's still a million Rohingya refugees from Myanmar. It's difficult for them to go back. They need assistance in Bangladesh. If that assistance declines, they will suffer. Um, and the list uh, is, is, is very, very long. This is why you know, I'm asking donors, and so are my fellow uh, humanitarian leaders from the aid community, not to let go. It will mean that we need more resources for some time, at least until the Ukraine uh, crisis is, is going on. And it also means that uh, all, we're appealing to all donors throughout the world, not just the more traditional Western donors, but also donors in Asia, donors in the Middle East. It is very, very important that all hands are on, are on deck, because if that doesn't happen, if we don't get resources, we will have to make deep and painful cuts 
in humanitarian operations at a time when they're most needed. On World Refugee Day, what, what, what's your message to the international community? You know what uh, I am doing this year, I have done, on, or I'm going to do on, on World Refugee Day, I'm going to send a counterintuitive message, something different. I'm going to travel to Côte d'Ivoire in West Africa. This is a country that went for the past 20 years through much trouble. Two civil wars, more than 300,000 refugees fled the country to neighboring countries, and a very violent conflict. Now, Côte d'Ivoire has resolved most of its problems. It has gained, regained stability and prosperity, and 90% of the refugees have gone back. So I'll go there. I'll go there to celebrate a success, the end of the situation of forced displacement. I'm also going to visit one of the neighboring countries, Liberia, that has hosted the bulk of the Ivorian refugees to thank them for what they have done over the years and for thanking, thank, to thank them also for keeping some of the residual people and naturalizing them. So it's a positive story. And you may say, well, that's the exception, but that's exactly my point. I want to go and show that when there is political will, when there are resources, when there is cooperation towards a positive solution, this ever-growing problem of displacement can be reversed. Filippo Grande, United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. Absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Still to come here on the agenda, the forgotten refugees will consider the global crises ignored by much of the world's media. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. Welcome back to the agenda. As we've heard, refugees from Ukraine, Syria and Afghanistan have dominated recent headlines. But what of the less reported crises elsewhere in the world? A recent survey from the Norwegian Refugee Council has identified the top 10 most neglected crises, which for the first time are all in Africa. Well, joining me now from Oslo is the Secretary General of the Norwegian Refugee Council, Jan Engeland. Thanks ever so much for, for coming on the programme. I, I wonder why are some crises perceived as maybe more important than others and why are some seemingly actively ignored? Well, it shouldn't be like that, but indeed, uh, in the battle for our attention, for our funding, for our political interest, some crises win, some crises lose. And what we're seeing is that thereby the world is not living by the humanitarian principles. A, a child that is fleeing for her life in Africa should be as much worth as the sister that is fleeing for her life in Europe or the Middle East or elsewhere. And for the first time, the, the top 10 most neglected crises are all in Africa, all of them, with the DRC, Burkina Faso, Cameroon, they top the list. So what does that say about the world we're living in? Well, I think we honestly have to recognize there is discrimination. There is less, I mean, it, it, Africa is down prioritized compared to other parts of the world, and it is systemic, really. 
some of the largest displacement crisis, wars, conflicts in the world are in Africa. So how come there is so little funding, there is so little interest, there is so little coverage, there is so little political investment in solving these crisis. That's what we're revealing in this report, where we have documented really the neglect uh, systematically across 40 displacement crises across the world. Now, your report looks at three crucial measures, the political will, media attention and then lack of funding for, for the needy. Which is the most important? Well, they are equally important and they are interconnected. Because there is little media attention, there is little funding from donors, thereby also l l less international presence, which may lead to less diplomats, less Security Council uh, resolutions, less political efforts. So it's a vicious cycle, really. I'm, I'm glad you are now covering uh, this. Uh, the, 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 the world media should be more interested in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is a dramatic war, a dramatic crisis. 27 million people need humanitarian assistance, but it's not even getting the, the attention that Ukraine is getting in a day. They are not getting even in a year. You've talked many times before about how politics is poisoning humanitarian efforts um, and the global response to the global refugee crisis. What, what, what do you mean? Well, the, it, it is politicized in the sense that it is militarized. I mean, humanitarian work should be neutral, impartial, driven by humanity. And we need to be independent of political and other actors. Many political actors, militaries, etc., try to instrumentalize us. They want us to work on one side and not on the other. They want us to steer our funding. Uh, at times, there is counterterrorism legislation or sanctions legislation that is also making it difficult for us to reach some of the uh, displaced people, some of the civilians in different contexts. Humanitarian relief should be given according to needs alone. We're not asking a widow with five children whether her dead husband belonged to this or that armed group. We're asking her, do your children have food? And if the answer is, uh, is no, then we provide food. One of the huge obstacles the humanitarian sector is facing is funding. I mean, much of Europe and rest of the world, they're, they're in the throes of a cost of living crisis. Prices for, for fuel, for food, for, for basics, they're, they're soaring. And many people are saying, well, yeah, we'd like to help everyone else, but we need to start here, home first. Well, and I disagree with that, really. I mean, the, you, you look at the trends in economic growth in private and public spending, and you see that now Europe is not 10 or 20 times richer than these poorest places. We're one to 200 times uh, richer. So, of course, we should be able to at least spend 0.7% of our riches on foreign assistance. So should all of the other countries that have find money for, for satellites and Olympics and whatnot should be able to fund basic humanitarian life-saving relief in the places where people live on, on less than a dollar a day. So how much does it really cost to help these people in need? Can you put it into context? You mentioned that 0.7%, but and the Olympics and, and other kinds of spending 
put it in a way that we can understand how much is really needed? Well, m many of these uh, neglected crises would have a total humanitarian spending need for all of us humanitarian organizations for one or two billion dollars. It's the same that is spent, was spent in, in minutes uh, when, when the rich countries were, were doing their COVID relief packages for home. It is, it is what is spent on a, fr a fraction of a, of a military fighter jet. The, 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 in the DR Congo, we found out that there is one dollar per needy person per week now. People cannot survive on that. We cannot provide relief on the basis of that. And that's why I was selected, selecting between which children starving should get aid and which starving children should get nothing. That's a horrible decision to, to have to make day in, day out. How do you, though, make sure that when you get that funding, it's going to the right place? I, I think there is a few other kinds of public or private spending that is as carefully evaluated, monitored, followed up as humanitarian spending, where we're, we're endlessly uh, revised by external and internal audit auditors. Uh, and it is amazing how little is lost and how efficient we are in reaching people in need. You talk about efficiency, but a lot of Western governments will claim that they are overwhelmed um, with refugees. Uh, how are you going to change that conversation? Well, they're not overwhelmed by refugees, except the neighboring countries to Ukraine at this moment. And it is interesting to see that a country like Poland alone has taken and is hosting more than three million Ukrainian refugees. By the way, the same country said they couldn't take even even a handful of thousands during the 2015 refugee crisis or, or any Afghans or, 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 or Syrians. So if there is a will, there is a way. One out of 10 uh, refugees come to rich countries. Nine out of 10 people who flee stay in or go to a poor country. It's 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 a it's a it's a myth that we're overwhelmed by refugees in the, in the rich world. In your role, you've traveled all around the world to, to conflict zones and, and, and met people fleeing, met people who've been displaced, many of them children. And you've talked to them, haven't you, about what they want to be when they grow up? Indeed. Uh, and I, I always ask when I come into a classroom, uh, what, what, hey, children, what would be your dream? What would you want to be when you're as old as I am? And the answer is nearly always, we want to be nurses, we want to be doctors, we want to be engineers, we want to be farmers, we want to be uh, football players, uh, stewardesses. I mean, the, none of them say, I, I want to be a terrorist, I want to be a fighter, I want to be uh, tearing down anything. They have the same dreams as our children have. The difference is that they were not allowing them to realize their dreams. And so that's what I beg for more funding so that we can realize more dreams. We have more than a million children in school through the Norwegian Refugee Council. We could easily double, triple, quadruple that if we had enough funding. Now, you've been a humanitarian worker for, for 40 plus years. Uh, looking around the, the world, have, have things got better or is it really a case of things just really getting worse? Well, it's, it's a mixed picture, really. 
uh, humanitarian aid and assistance has become infinitely more effective and efficient. We are helping and saving lives now in places where we, where we could never, uh, never go, nor be able to be effective earlier. However, we are overwhelmed and overstretched at the moment. The gap between assessed needs for, for, for more than 100 million people in great need and the funding available is widening. So we have less now of funding per person who, are, who would be fleeing than we had before. And in that respect, it is more difficult now, um, but we were not giving up. We're begging that we again reboot and do what is needed to help the most vulnerable on this planet. Yeah, and England, absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Coming up on a future agenda, streaming wars. Who's really winning the subscription battle for online viewers? But for now, from me, Juliet Mann, and from all of the Agenda team here in London, goodbye. <laughs>